thank you very much for that. That was just real good stuff. John chapter 13, if you have a Bible this morning, John chapter 13, good to see you all out here on this beautiful autumn morning, soon to be afternoon here. I didn't know if we might hear a third number like Hail to the Victor. But that's a joke. That's a joke. John chapter 13 this morning. Glad if you're a visitor with us. Glad you came. Hope you, hope you get what you need this morning. We're awful glad that you joined us. John chapter 13. When you find your place in John 13, would you stand? I'd like to read a few verses of Scripture. And once you find John chapter 13, I'm going to throw a monkey wrench at you and uh, grab with your other hand Hebrews chapter uh, 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Just a couple verses in each one. And give you what the Lord's laid on my heart this morning here. The Bible says here in John chapter 13, verse 1. The Bible says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. I was reading my Bible, and I come across that, man, what a statement. He loved them unto the end. And you know what? He loved you into the end. Verse 2, And supper being ended, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things in his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Take your Bible now, go to Hebrews chapter 12, read just a couple verses here, and then we'll pray. Hebrews chapter 12. Both are familiar passages of Scripture to you this morning. We'll read verses 1 to 3. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Brother Tuttle, would you ask the Lord's blessing on the preaching this morning? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here in John chapter 13 that we just read at, to begin with, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, a familiar passage to you. Uh, You know it. You're familiar with it. And uh, Jesus washes the disciples' feet as an example of ministering the word to each other for daily cleansing from sin. When a man or woman trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, as you know, he washes you in his blood. And verse 10 of John chapter 13 says, But is clean every whit, 
and ye are clean. Isn't that a blessing this morning to know that the moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He washed you in His blood, and the inward new man became clean as white as snow. White as snow. And, uh, but a part of you gets dirty on a daily basis, doesn't it? The moment you got saved, you were made white as snow on the inside. But as you go through this life, part of you gets dirty every single day. You likewise need to get your walk right with Jesus Christ on a daily basis. That's why Jesus Christ was washing their feet. It's not an ordinance. Uh, we don't practice foot washing. I know some churches down south do that. and I don't know, maybe some of you all need to go home and wash your feet, but we ain't going to do that here, amen. We ain't got an, I ain't got no desire to take your shoes and socks off. That's, that's just gross. But anyways, but this illustration in John chapter 13, thank you. I, I need a little bit of help this morning. You laugh at me or with me, that'll work too. This beautiful and powerful illustration of ministering the word to each other brings us now to settle upon the very one who is the word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, again, I want you to look at verse 4. He says, uh, Jesus, it says that Jesus Christ ariseth from supper and laid aside his garments. As I was reading this passage of scripture, my heart became enlarged. You say, we well, had too much cholesterol, preacher, uh, uh, you know, eating too much butter. No, I just, my heart was overwhelmed. It was enlarged because I realized, as you often have times have done, what Jesus Christ did for me. And I realized that I'm a very selfish individual. And if you're honest, you are too. And you get to thinking way too much about yourself during the week, and the whole week revolves around you and what you want to do and your schedule and your list of things you've got to accomplish, and what am I going to do if I can't do this, and what if I do if I can't pay that, and what am I going to do if I can't go here. And I was reading that, and it's like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to just focus on my son for a little bit and what he did. And those specific words rang out to me, the fact that he laid aside some things. And as my heart's moved this morning, I want to give to you some things that Jesus Christ has laid aside. This morning, what I want to do and where Hebrews chapter 13 ties in, it says, for let us consider him. All I want to do this morning is maybe try to get you to consider him this morning. Consider him. There's no doubt a list of things that you want to get accomplished today. All right? No doubt. Why? Because you're a man or a woman of means. You have a list of priorities. But this morning, let's just consider him. I know it sounds simple, but I have to get in that vein. You and I have to take the time and, and look in that direction to even consider him this morning. I want to look at him, what he laid aside to be able to save us, to be able to help us, and to be able to minister to us. You say, why so? Well, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, it says, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. So one of the causes in the Christian life why we spiritually faint, why we spiritually fall, and why we spiritually lose our mind is because we're not considering Jesus Christ. Back in verse 1, the Bible says, or verse 2, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? And what we have to do as a Christian is we have to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, for consider him. And the stuff that he endured, and I'm not quoting it right, at the end it says, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. There are certain things that you and I have to do, in other words, to not spiritually faint. Philippians chapter 4, Paul gives you a list of things to think on. In our Christian life, the problems that you and I have, we have a thinking problem, and we have a problem that we don't think about Jesus Christ and the right things. 
So a lot of our problem becomes self-induced. So I want to get you to think about Jesus Christ this morning. Now that's why we're here this morning, right? We're here because of Him. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, we wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for His death on the cross and His resurrection over death and the grave, we might as well be watching another football game if they're starting somewhere. But that's why we're here this morning. We're not here to feel good. We're not here because we got nothing else better to do. We are here simply because of Jesus Christ. So I want to get us to consider Him and what He laid aside for you, what He laid aside for me. The Bible says in John chapter 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and that's a capital W. That's the person of Jesus Christ. And He was here from the beginning. I want you to see some things this morning right from the text. Uh, first of all, I want you to see here this morning that he laid aside his heavenly home to come to this earth. He laid aside his heavenly home. Like I said in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. You ever stop and think that Jesus had to leave <laughs> his heavenly home and come to the armpit of the universe called earth, for you and me. And if you don't think this earth is an armpit, then you ain't got your nose right. <laughs> this place stinks. And it stinks because of sin. And it stinks because of man's sin, your sin, and my sin. But stop and think that Jesus Christ laid aside His heavenly home and came to this armpit of the universe called earth just for you and me just so He could save lost mankind. The Bible says in John 1.14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. There's no doubt in my mind, you believe it today, I believe it, that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He left His heavenly home. The Bible says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I'm thankful for that today, are you? Have you ever stopped and considered what He left to come here? Would you do that? I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't. You say, well, that's, you're a pastor, probably even more so. Don't get this idea that because a fellow's a preacher or a pastor, he's any more spiritual than the next guy. I'm not trying to debase myself. I understand my, my role, my position, my responsibility. But Jesus Christ left his heavenly home to come to save lost mankind. He laid that aside to come here for you and me. The Bible says in John 6, 38, he says, For I came down from heaven. Jesus knew where he came from. He came down. He left his heavenly home. John chapter 3, verse 13, uh, Jesus Christ said, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. You say, what are you saying, preacher? He laid aside his heavenly home to come here. He laid aside his heavenly home. You know, we can catch a glimpse. Take your Bible and go to Revelation chapter 21. See, we get so involved in this world that we forget what's awaiting us. And I don't know about you, but when I study about what the Bible shows us about heaven, man, it makes me, want, it makes me long for His return. <laughs> when you read just what the Bible shows, and we catch a glimpse of His heavenly home through what? Through one city that descends from heaven, the New Jerusalem. Much of what we have about heaven, you catch a glimpse from just one of the cities. You say there's more than one? Well, maybe there is. But we catch a glimpse of his heavenly home through one city, that new Jerusalem that descends down from heaven, Revelation chapter 21. I want to show you some things that you probably already know. But in verse 4, you know what I know about that place? There's no more tears. I mean, some of you wept some tears this week. 
out of bitterness. You wept some tears this week out of anger. You wept some tears this week out of just sheer hopelessness, going, God, what are you going to do? How are you going to help me get through this? And I'm telling you, there's coming a day where that place that we're going to go to, there'll be no more tears. We've got to go through the judgment seat of Christ first, but there's going to be no more tears. Amen? I don't know about you, but I, I don't like to cry. You, you know my story. I refuse to give my tears to Hollywood. If they got the uh, Hallmark Channel, which should rightly now be called the Queer Channel, but what anyways, or, or whatever it is, and they get some, you know, the Southern Baptists, they put a bunch of them things out like Facing the Giants and all those movies. And all of a sudden, if I feel it well enough, I, I'm gone. See ya. I'm on the next thing spoken. I'm, I'm not going to give my tears to something fake. <laughs> got quiet on that one. I, I don't care if Lassie dies or not. I ain't, I ain't going to cry. <laughs> Why? It's fake. But that's a place for no more tears. In verse 11, you see the light of that place is like a jasper stone. Clear as crystal. No more smog. Amen? <laughs> I know we're not in the big city. Oh man, you say, well, that's life in the big city. But you better be glad you're not in the big city. Amen. Bigger problems in the big city. Little city, little problems. Alright, verse uh, 12 and 21, you find that this place has 12 gates, great and high. How about this? Each gate is made out of one pearl. That's a mighty big oyster, ain't it? Each gate is made out of one pearl. And in front of each of those gates, there's three on the north, three on the south, three on the west, and three on the east. There's an angel standing there. Man, that's quite a place, isn't it? The light is clear like jasper, clear as crystal. It's got 12 gates all made with pearl. I mean, we're worried about if they're going to spray uh, potassium chloride on the stinking roads in the summer to keep the dust down. But these gates are pearl. You're not convinced yet this morning. In verses 19 to 21, you see the walls of that city. It has 12 foundations. You say, my soul, that's quite a building code. Yeah, in, in heaven they got a building code, 12 foundations, and 12 different precious stones, and they list them out. They list them out, 12 different precious stones. Every foundation is a different precious stone, and each foundation has the name of one of the apostles in it. Ain't that wild? <laughs> you say, what are you doing? I'm telling you about the heavenly home that he left to come here. I don't think we wrap our heads around the fact that what he laid aside to come here for us. Because I'm telling you right now, if you lived in the place that he did, you wouldn't be coming here to the armpit of the universe to save anybody. Why? Because it's not within ourselves. In verses 18 and 21, what you realize at this place, the buildings of that city and the very street of that city is pure gold. Isn't it funny today is the most valuable thing down here is what's the most valuable thing up there? Gold. You know, the word God is gold with L removed from it. Ain't that something? You've heard the story. That feller uh, had everything at the end of his life. He was ready to kick off, and he told his wife, he said, you take everything, uh, that all my earthly possessions, and you melt it down into gold and make it gold dust and fill my pockets with gold dust. I want to take it all with me. Now, you know you can't. This is a joke, so it's going to be funny, right? So he gets up there, and he stands before whatever it is, how they do it up there, and you know that's a bunch of baloney too. But anyways, he's up there, and St. Peter says, he says, it's, it's nice to see you. I'm glad you're saved by grace through faith and you can come on in. He said, but I was wondering, why do you have pavement in your pockets? You see what I mean? Everything, everything down here is all about gold. It's all about dollars, all about coins, all about silver. And up there, it's just stinking pavement. Something to think about. The buildings of that city and the street of that place is pure gold. The Bible calls it clear as glass and one, transparent as glass and clear as crystal. 
Not only that, but you notice in verse 23 that there's no sun or moon needed. How about that? For Jesus Christ is the light thereof. I mean, out here we've got the sun, and we're going into fall, and then going to go into winter, and you don't see much of that sun. It gets darker earlier, and one of the most depressing times around here is wintertime, isn't it? It is. And so y'all wake up some days like, no, I'm not going, I'm staying home. And there are about ten of us here, amen. That's northern Michigan is what it is. That's why God called me here to preach. But there's no sun, there's no moon. Why? Jesus Christ is the light thereof. That's his heavenly home, no sun or moon. What you see here is not up there. Not only that, but the, in verse 27, we learn about that heavenly place. There's nothing that defileth. Amen. There's nothing that worketh an abomination. Nothing that maketh a lie. That means there's no politicians up there. Amen. Man, y'all are a tight crowd this morning. No, there, there's nothing that defileth. Amen. There's no crime. There's nothing an abomination. There's none of that business there. And there's nothing that maketh a lie. That sounds like a pretty good place. Aren't you, don't, wouldn't you like to go there? I'm telling you what, I'm going there one day. And I hope you are too. But that's his heavenly home. He left that to come where? Here. You're kidding me. No, I'm not telling you the truth this morning. He laid aside his heavenly home. Not only that, but in verse uh, uh, chapter 22, verse 1, you see a pure river of water of life. Amen. No DNR regulating it. No DNR telling you you can't catch fish. I'm not against that. I'm for it. Amen. I'm for government. I'm not a rebel. Well, maybe a little bit, you know. <laughs> or a pure river of water like crystal. And there here, the next verse here, what is it? Verse uh, 20, Chapter 22, verse uh, 2, there's the tree of life. And it bears 12 manners of fruits. Man, that's a crazy tree, ain't it? Every month it produces a different fruit. Isn't that wild? You've got to cut yours and trim yours and prune yours and inject yours and spray yours and hope it produces one fruit every other year sometimes. But up there in heaven, that, that tree of life, you know what that thing does? It produces a different fruit every single month. And all the nations of the earth got to come to it and eat it. Isn't that wild? One year, apples. You know, one month, you know, not, you know, one month peaches. One month plums. One month cherries. I don't know, I'm guessing just like you would. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> well, I'm just giving you a little glimpse. In verse 3, chapter 22, verse 3, there's no more curse. I mean, you know why we die? Because of sin. You know why we die? Because sin brings a curse. No more curse. No more curse. That's his heavenly home. In uh, chapter 22, verse 5, there's, there's no more night, no need for candles. Ain't that something? No more night. It's forever day. Because Jesus Christ is the light thereof. And of course, you know, in John chapter 14, verse 2, it says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He's like, look guys, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and come again, I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He left his heavenly home for you and me. Amen. Have you just, well, you just consider him this morning and what he left and what he laid aside, I think, was it Dottie Rambo, 1969. She penned the words of the song. He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny, right? Was the mighty hill of Golgotha, there to lay down his life for me. That's what he left. 
He left it for you. He left it for me. I stopped and think the, the day that I got saved, April 24th, 1983, that the Lord left His heavenly home just for me. I can't get a hold of that. I don't deserve that. I deserve to be in hell with my back broke, and so do you. But I'm telling you this morning, He laid aside His heavenly home. Not only that, He laid aside His royalty. John chapter 13, verse 3, the Bible says, Jesus knowing. Jesus knows some things. I don't know if you understood that or not, but he knows a few things. But I'm telling you this morning, Jesus laid aside his royalty to come here. And at verse 3, Jesus knowing at the end of the verse says that he was come from God and went to God. Can I remind you this morning that he laid aside his royalty when it came to his birth? Luke chapter 2 verse 7 shows you the story how Jesus Christ was born and laid in a manger. You say, how did he lay aside his royalty? That's a place where sheep eat. That's not a place where royalty is birthed. He was laid in a manger. That's where the animals get their bread. Oh, but he is the bread of life. He laid aside his royalty this morning in his birth. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Can I remind you also what you already know? He laid aside his royalty as he faced temptation. In Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, you're familiar. The Bible says, it talks about Jesus Christ and temptations. And the Bible says there in Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. There's your Whitney Houston song. One moment in time. Amen. There's nothing original under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. All comes from a King James Bible. The devil taking him up into a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give unto thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. Say, what are you saying, preacher? He laid aside his royalty in facing temptation. He was a king, but the devil's the one ruling the joint then. You see it? All that power is delivered unto me. The devil's running that joint. I've said this before, I'll say it again, and I'll make some of you mad, but maybe one of you, some of you all wake up and realize the Bible's true and your opinions and Fox News don't matter. Here's the thing. The devil's the one running the show. If you want to know why it's a circus, because the devil's the one in charge, because the Lord put him in charge. But he, I'm telling you, he laid aside his royalty as he faced temptation. See, Jesus Christ was a king, and we're going to get to this next part, and it'll connect the dots for you. He is definitely the king of kings, but he laid aside his royalty as he faced temptation. You know what he said? For three times that the devil tried to get him to sin, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. All three times. You know how you're going to handle temptation this week? It is written, it is written, it is written. And if you're not in that book, you have no idea what is written. The Bible said, The entrance of thy words giveth light, giveth understanding to the simple. Psalm 119, 130. And I'm telling you this morning, he laid, he laid aside his royalty in his birth, and he laid aside his royalty in his manner of life. Now let me tell you, as he faced temptation, look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 this morning. I'm trying to get you to think about Jesus Christ this morning. You say, well, you know, I know Jesus. I accepted him into my heart. I got to say, well, praise the Lord. Have you thought about him lately? See, the, difficult, the difficulty of the hour is not whether or not you're saved. The difficulty of the hour is will you stop thinking about yourself long enough to consider Him? 
Will you stop thinking about what you have to face? Will you stop thinking about what you need? Will you stop thinking about everything else around you and just consider the Lord Jesus Christ for a minute? I'm just trying to brag on Him. That's the greatest job in the world to be able to get to brag on the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse number uh, 7. You know the verse, but made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant. Doesn't sound like a king to me, does it? But he laid that aside. He laid aside his royalty and his manner of life. He did not come to this earth to be served. He came to this earth to serve and to save mankind from sin. He laid aside his royalty, not only in his birth and his temptation, his manner of life. Can I tell you this? He he laid aside his royalty as he faced death. Look at John 18, 36. This is important. You need to see this. I know you've read it before in your Bible reading. But he laid aside his royalty in his death as he faced death. As a king, he could have demanded things be done. Mama uh, sang that song a while back uh, when I was a little kid. She sang, he could have called 10,000 angels. Boy, I'd like to see that movie. And if he did that, we wouldn't be here. Can you imagine while they're getting ready, they're mistreating him and whipping and beating, he just said, all right, I've had enough of this joint. All right, Gabriel. All right, Michael. Tear it up. Man, I tell you what, this, this world went, it just would have imploded. But I'm telling you, he laid all that aside for you and me. He laid aside his royalty as he faced death. John 18, 36, he's standing before Pilate, right? The Bible says that he witnessed a good confession before Pilate. Notice what he tells Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. You see that? He laid it aside. My kingdom is not of this world. That's important that you see that. He came in a lowly manger. He faced temptation without royalty. He faced his manner of life without invoking his royalty. He faced death the same way. How about this Luke 23, 53? In his burial, he laid aside his royalty. Even when he was buried, he was buried in a borrowed tomb in which never man before laid, the Bible says. Another one song says uh, he was born, uh, uh, the only thing he bought was me. But even in his death, even in his burial, he laid aside his royalty. When someone important dies, I remember uh, the, the queen's passing here, the queen of England's passing here not too long ago. And man, I'm telling you what, I, ne- I never met the queen. I never knew her. I heard about her, uh, news reports and all that. But I'm telling you what, as I watched the procession, it brought grief to my heart. Why? Something about the way the British do their grieving, man, or something else. But I'm just saying they really did it up. And they allowed the process for grieving. Let me tell you what. Jesus Christ laid all that aside. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. You know, even in his resurrection, he laid aside his royalty. You say, how so? John chapter 20, he only appears to Mary first. Doesn't sound like a king to you, does it? If you were a king and you were to come into this world or to this state or whatever, you'd be met with pomp and circumstance and and an entourage and the paparazzi. He shows up to one little old gal named Mary. And then he shows up to the the disciples. And then he shows up to 500 as ascension. But here's the thing. He ministered to thousands. I mean, he fed 5,000 at one time. 
And when he leaves this world, only one-tenth of that is present, 500. Say, what does that say? He laid all that royalty aside to come into this world and to be a servant for you and me. He laid aside his royalty. Not only did he lay aside his heavenly home, he laid aside his royalty. Can I give you number three? Look in John chapter 13, verse 4. Here in the passage we find him, he laid aside his garments. Here's an interesting passage. The Bible says, He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments. I want you to notice a couple things here this morning. First of all, I want you to notice that before he laid aside his garments, that he had to rise from supper. You say, so what? We'll get to that in a minute. I just want you to think about that for a minute. Before he could lay aside his garments, he had to arise from supper. Not only that, but I want you to notice that the master's garments were laid aside and traded for the servant's towel. The master's garments. Look at John chapter 13, verse 13. He says, you call me master. You know what he says? You're right. I'm your master. Jesus wasn't afraid to tell them that he was, Jesus, he was Christ the Lord. He wasn't afraid to say, you're right, I am your master. But he traded the master's towel for the, uh, the master's garments for the servant's towel. John 13, 4, he took a towel and girded himself. I got to thinking about this passage in here and what Jesus Christ laid aside for what he could do for us. And I got to thinking how many Christians never do get up from the dinner table. We're seated together today, most of us are seated, at the dinner table. Jesus Christ is the one who provides the food. He asked me to get it ready and serve it. But can I tell you this morning that many Christians never arise from supper. A lot of Christians are sedentary. That means they're always seated. Always eating. I'm not talking about physically. But that's pretty good too, amen. A sedentary Christian, you know what I know, will not serve others because he can only be served. But I notice about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ got up from dinner and laid aside his garments and, and served his disciples. Christian, can I exhort you this morning as we look at what Jesus Christ laid aside? If Jesus Christ is our example, which he is, then some of us are going to have to learn to get up from the dinner table, lay aside those garments and learn to serve one another because that's what Jesus Christ would have you to do. A Christian who is fed and in fellowship with the Lord must eventually come to the place where he says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's Paul on the road to Damascus. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? It's so good to be around the dinner table. Some of the best memories you and I have with family is around a meal. That's where they're sealed, indelibly with a meal. Mom's home cooking, grandma's home cooking, Aunt May's whatever, right? Someone's apple pie, someone's pecan pie, whatever. But the Lord says, or the Lord takes off his master's garments and he puts on the servant's garment. I want to tell you about something in history. History declares, you may or may have heard the name Niccolo Paganini. I'm sure I'm slaughtering that name. He's an Italian uh, violinist composer back in the late seven, or early 1800s. And history declares that Paganini uh, willed his marvelous violin to the, city of, to the city of Genoa. Not Genovia, Genoa. 
just in case you're getting them too mixed up there. Now, the wood of this instrument, while used and being used, wears slightly. Even though the, the, your hand has oils in that, while you're using the instrument, the marvelous wood of this instrument, uh, it just wears slightly. But when set aside, it begins to decay. So, Paganini, he willed his violin to the city of Genoa on one condition. He said it must never be played. And through the process of time, that magnificent violin, one of only 250 made from an Italian family that I can't even pronounce, starts with a G. It sounds like spaghetti, but not so much. But over the process of time, that violin became worm-eaten and rotten from a lack of use. You say, what are you saying this morning? Therefore, Paganini's lovely violin has today become worm-eaten and useless except as a relic. Likewise, a Christian's unwillingness to serve the Lord will soon destroy your capacity for His usefulness. I'm telling you this morning, he laid aside his garments to serve others. Can I give you one more this morning? Well, you already know it. He laid aside his heavenly home. He laid aside his royalty. He laid aside his garments to serve others. Last but not least, he laid down his life. He laid down his life. If you look with me this morning at 1 John chapter 3, the same author, a different epistle, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We're just trying to get a glimpse of Jesus Christ this morning. We're trying to consider Him and what He did for us. Lest we be wearied as Christians, lest we go through this week and faint in our mind because we don't think anyone understands what we're going through. We don't think anyone could possibly understand how we feel. We think every time we talk we're misunderstood and no one really gets us. Let me tell you what, Jesus gets you. Consider Him this morning. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's a tough verse, isn't it? You say, why is it so tough, preacher? Because <laughs> you're not going to lay your life down for all the brethren. Some of you right now sitting here, if one of your brethren was ready to die, you'd be like, can I officiate the funeral? That's how we are. But Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. I sure didn't deserve that. And you didn't either. But he laid it down for us. The Bible says in John chapter 10 verse 15, he says, I lay my life down for the sheep. No one took Jesus Christ's life. No one took it from him. He laid it down willingly. You've got to understand that this morning. John chapter 15, verse 13, the Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Let me tell you what, not only did he lay his life down for his friends, he laid his life down for his enemies. Amen. Could you do that? He laid down his life for the very one that put that cat of nine tails across his back. 
as they put that, platted that crown of thorns and slammed it down in his head and as the blood began to run down and they took that reed, the Bible says, and they would beat him on top of the head. He died for those men too. As they mocked on him, the, the men that balled up their fists and punched him in the face and the men that spit on him, <laughs> he died for them too. Consider him. He laid down his life. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4, you know the verse, the Bible says, Who gave himself for our sins. No one took it from him. Jesus Christ gave himself for what? For your sins. So you could be delivered from the penalty of sin. So you could be delivered then from the power of sin. And one day in heaven with Jesus Christ we'll be delivered forever from the presence of sin. He laid down his life for us. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8, you know the verse that says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I don't know what it had been like in the garden. We read the, the garden passage there where he goes into the garden with his disciples and three of them go a little bit farther into the garden with him. And he tells them to stay put and he goes off a little further and begins to pray at least three times. And he prays, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You understand today that Jesus Christ knew everything that was going to happen to him. And I don't know about you, as a man, I'm a gambler, not like Keno or down here, but... If I know I'm in a fix, I'm looking for a way to get out of it. Men, are you with me here on this one? Help me out now. And if I see him, I'm in a tight spot, and if I've got some advanced revelation, that's funny right there, about what's going to happen, I'm going to be like, Lord, I know there's got to be another way here somehow. I mean, two more days of grace, and we're good. But he knew everything, and it says he endured the pain, despising the shame. And he counted going to the cross joy. That could only be the case since he laid down his life. Have you stopped to think about what Jesus Christ has done lately? Or is this all about you? I'm a product of this generation and so are you. You and I are not more spiritual than we think we are. We govern each day by what we have to do what we want to do, and what we like to see done. But why we have so many difficulties in the Christian life is because we're not considering Him. And we get weary. And we spiritually faint. And we don't think on the things we ought to. We get so overcharged and overwhelmed. I don't know if I can do this. I can't take it anymore. Why? Just not considering Him. He left His heavenly home. He left His royalty. I'm telling you what, if any of y'all are a king or a queen in here and you're on a sabbatical from your throne, hit that box on the way out at least. Amen? <laughs> but he did all that for you and me. Do you think that might change your life this week just a little bit? Can you walk out of here this morning going, you know what? I'm just going to think about what Jesus Christ did for me. And next thing you know, you're facing temptation. Next thing you know, you're facing some very difficult things. And then you begin to think about what Jesus Christ went through and did for you. Well, well, Jesus went through it. And he said, it is finished. And Paul says, I finished my course. I guess the Lord will help me finish too. I can get through it.
I can go one more day. I can read my Bible one more day. I can pray one more day. I can have a good spirit about my job one more hour. Hour at a time on that one, amen? No, one day at a time, sweet Jesus. But you know what I'm saying? Consider Him this morning. You say, that's the message. That's the message. Consider Him. As we close this morning, will you consider Him? Will you consider Jesus Christ the author and finisher of our faith? He's the one that started it, and He's the one that finished it. Doesn't the Bible say He's Alpha and Omega? The beginning and the end? This is nothing that you don't already know. But if He's Alpha and He's Omega, that tells me He knows everything in between. Are you willing to consider Him? We consider Jesus Christ the one who ministers the very Word to our souls. He's given you this message this morning about Him, not about you. Preaching today is so self-centered. It's so psychological. What can I do to better myself? Consider Him. What's the answer? Consider Him. The one who laid aside all heaven and earth to come to this animated ball of dirt and save us from our sins. Why not take time this morning to consider Him? The Bible says, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. As Elizabeth comes to play, why not take the time this morning? This altar is open. This is not just a set of stairs. This is your old-fashioned altar. Why don't you take the time and consider Him? Fight the urge to dwell on your own problems. Fight the urge to dwell upon your difficulties. Fight the urge to dwell on the fight you got in this morning. Just come and consider Him. Come and take some time to praise the Lord and love Him and worship Him. And as she begins to play, just spend time with Him.